This fall, Quincy College in Quincy, Massachusetts drops the puck on its first ever hockey season in the City of Presidents, just 10 minutes from Boston. The Granite, as they're known, will play in the CHF Collegiate Hockey Federation against Babson, Mass Maritime, Nichols, Sacred Heart, and D3 programs at UNH and Farmingdale State in New York. The Quincy College Granite will be well coached. Kyle Robertson has been coaching regional junior teams for 20 years, and over 100 of his players have gone on to NCAA programs. Kyle's assistant is Matt Gibbs who's been coaching at North Quincy High for 12 years and won three titles there. Three years ago, he was the MIAA Coach of the Year. And as far as the educational part, Quincy College has a lot to offer. 37 different two-year degrees, and it's super affordable. There's even a new four-year business management degree that costs much less than other four-year schools. Want to make some history in a first-year hockey program? Now's your chance. Get more info at quincycollege.edu forward slash hockey. Welcome to New England Hockey Journal's Rink-Wise Podcast, the podcast for serious hockey players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their hockey careers. And now, here is your host, New England Hockey Journal's Kirk Ludicky. Welcome to the New England Hockey Journal's Rink-Wise Podcast. I'm your host, Kirk Ludicky. It's great for you all to join me today, and I am happy to welcome into the studio in Milton, Mass., former Boston College defenseman, former Boston Bruin, NHL defenseman, and uh, all-around good guy, and native Minnesotan, Andrew Alberts. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, and thanks for uh, shooting that out there. It seems like a, a lifetime ago when you mentioned all those things. Yeah, no, I absolutely, I mean, you know, it's it's funny, but I we were talking before the, we started recording, and I was telling you that my first draft that I covered with the New England Hockey Journal was the 2001 draft, and that's when the Boston Bruins selected you out of the Waterloo Blackhawks and you know we'll get to that but the first thing I want want to ask you is what have you been up to since uh since you finished playing as a as a pro you're you're an Eden Prairie guy from from Minnesota originally but you live in South Hamilton Mass now and and so what have you been doing to stay connected to the game since you retired a uh, bunch of things. Um, just you, you want to stay involved in the game. Like you get away from it for a little bit. And I didn't watch hockey for two, three years, and then it, it always seems to suck you back in, right? And so uh, I got into some development stuff, uh, helping some young, young local kids on the ice, instructional stuff, uh, going over video of their shifts and games, and kind of helping the development uh, in that way. And then volunteering with the, the high school group a little bit. Um, I did some TV analyst stuff with the, the Nesson and the Bruins, which was a great learning experience. And finally, I, I've hopped into uh, the software field, if you believe it, um, with uh, VR technology and helping uh, uh, the cognitive development of players. So uh, very exciting stuff. And that's Sense Arena? That is Sense Arena, yes. Okay, well, we will get to that, but uh, that is uh, – that's great. And, you know, again, you talked about it earlier, you want to stay in the game. And sometimes you have to just unplug and take a break. We've had former players come on and say they've they've gotten away from hockey for a bit, but, but that pull always seems to kind of get them get them back into it. And I suppose some guys walk away with it. But for you, you grew up in the state of hockey, um, land of 10,000 lakes, and just such a rich tradition of, of hockey in, in Minnesota. Talk to us about what it was like for you as a, as a youngster growing up in Eden Prairie and and that in that environment and just how hockey minor hockey is and maybe you know for the listeners how it's different from what you see up here in, in Massachusetts. 
Sure, yeah. I'll, I'll walk you through the beginning. Uh, as you mentioned, Eden Prairie grew up. Uh, it was a young town, a lot of young families, um, a lot of hockey to be played, a lot of outdoor ice, which was great. Um, you know, you don't see that around here as much anymore or anywhere just with the weather change, but uh, spending hours and hours out on the, the, the outdoor rinks and playing with your friends and the creativity is all, all starts there. And so for for me, I grew up playing mostly B teams, um, was never a top end player, really. Um, and, and in Minnesota, the difference from Minnesota, and it's still the model that runs today is. Uh, you grew up through your your town association all the way up through high school, and and as a young kid there, uh, that's what you dream of being. You, you go to the high school games thinking like that's the NHL for a young kid, right? Like you want to play on that high school team and you want to play in that state tournament at the XL uh, in Minnesota. And so uh, it's a very different model than what you see out here with the junior and club programs. Though they're slowly creeping into Minnesota, uh, but there's still a, a great drive for those young players to stay within their association in their town association and develop within uh kind of one one focus of development there under the head coach and he oversees everything uh the high school team all the way down and so uh very different but uh that's not to say that there aren't different ways to make it to where you want to be right i imagine just being connected to that that community you're still really interested every march when the when the brackets come out i mean it's it's, uh, one of the things i was able to take off my bucket list was to go to you know go to the minnesota tournament when i was fortunate to be scouting out there and it's just it's unbelievable i still remember going to duluth and 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 seeing the duluth east greyhounds win an overtime game and and like the the arena was just absolutely jam-packed people hanging off the rafters yeah, something. it's just, I mean, you got you got 22,000 people packed in to see a high school game. And right. the fan and the student sections and the bands and the hair club, you know, you've seen the videos on oh, YouTube yeah. with that. Yeah. It's just, it draws people in. And uh, the fact that, you know, all the kids, they get to skip school and go to the games, uh, you know, if they're in the final games. It's just, it's a, it's a very unique experience for especially a kid at that age in high school. So um, I was fortunate enough to play in it and we won it my senior year. And so uh, I have great memories of that. Wow. So, but there, it wasn't so simple. I mean, the way you just threw that out there, it sounds like, hey, it was easy. Yeah, I played and, and I won, and you know, you know, you ended up playing in the NHL. So, but uh, not, you know, based on talking to you and and again going back to speaking to you back when you were drafted, you told me the story of going up and trying to make the Eden Prairie team and what happened there because this is very important for players that maybe have not faced adversity. Uh, and are going along in the process, and all of a sudden there's a bump in the road, and then it's a matter of what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do at that moment when you run into adversity, and maybe, maybe you don't make a team, or you don't have an opportunity, or you're not getting the playing time that you think you should have. And so, tell us, tell us what happened with, with Eden Prairie because it's, I think it's a really interesting, uh, a really interesting story. Yeah, it's a great message for kids, uh, as you alluded there, and. Uh just to start with my story, a uh, young kid, again, playing in, in the town program. And once you get past that Batam age, you, you, you want to play for that high school team. And so the high school tryouts, I think were late October, early November. And, uh, you feel confident in yourself and you know where you can always kind of know where you slot in with your buddies. Right. And so, uh, first tryouts, uh, varsity JV, whoever's coming out for the team and, um, thought I had a pretty good showing, did all right. And, you know, within the first day or two, they cut the guys down to the nuts, the JV tryout. And so the next day you go to the JV tryout and still feeling good about my game, uh, feeling I could make that JV team. That was my goal. Um, and a couple of days later, I get cut again. And, and for a kid, 
that grows up in the Minnesota communities, like that's your dream, that's your goal, that's what you think you're going to ascend to even the first time just because that's what you, your expectations are. Um, and so that was devastating to me, and, and I, I picked myself back up and I said, right, you know what, I'll play junior gold and I'll have a great year and I'll come back next year and try out. And so I tried out for junior gold and sure enough, I uh, drove to the arena the next night to check the list, didn't make that either. And I'm like, all right, well, at least I can play, uh, you know, midget A. You know, like maybe a couple of buddies that I haven't played with in a while um, that were older that I never got to play with. I'll get to play with them, that were neighbors. And so try out for that team and drive to the arena the next night because the sign's posted at the arena, and sure enough, I got caught from there. And and now I'm just, I mean, floored. But, you know, now I have to play junior B, which is house hockey, uh, the lowest possible level that I could play. And And again... As a kid, you think your dreams are crushed. Um, but in reality, it was one of the most fun years I've ever had playing hockey. Uh, the most fun I had playing hockey. Um, I got to play with a couple of neighbors, like I mentioned, that are older. Um, I got back to not worrying about the pressure of... Um, I don't, I don't want to say my parents, because my parents really never put pressure on me, but just the pressure of being a, a top player, being that status within your friends. You know, you always want to be a top player. Um, and so I ended up playing junior B hockey my sophomore year of high school and had more fun than I could have ever imagined. It was, there, there was no pressure was go out there enjoy the game. Practices were great. Uh, I had coaches that understood where we were at as a team. Um, and so, uh, I rode that wave and then the next year, uh, I made the decision to switch schools, uh, for the sake of, uh, just the academic piece of it. Um, but going back and looking back now at Eden Prairie, it was like my the my, my most favorite failure I ever had is is learning from that experience and putting that towards what my next goal is going to be because I just expected it to happen and now I had to dig down and drill down and understand well you know you're not good enough and and start researching and reading books and hockey stuff and talking to people figure out well, what does it take to make it to the next level. And then you just start picking up the pieces and then you grab a tip from this guy or you talk to a coach here and do this and train this way. And, and you just, you start snowballing and that's how development comes and whatever kind of clicks with you, um, you ride that wave and uh, see where it can take you. So what were the areas that you had to really devote and dedicate your, your focus and your emphasis on and improving? Uh, well, if I told you all of them, I would not be lying, but <laughs> Uh, so I was, I was in my growth spurt too. So I was, I was just starting to grow, uh, wearing size, you know, 11 shoe, um, you know, quick feet and the ability to skate and being dynamic on the ice and being agile and fast, like all these things are incorporated. So you were gangly. I was as gangly as you could be. (laughs) And, and you know, it's, it's never been my skills that have gotten me to where I'm at or where I sent it to in the NHL, it was, it was the hard work and the drive instilled in me to that never give up attitude and never to be outworked. Like that's what got me to where I was going. And uh, a lot of that drive comes from my parents, obviously. Um, and they pushed me in that way to be a good person. Uh, and that was their sole focus. If sports came along with it, great. Um, but at, when I transferred to Benilde, um, I was able to meet a guy named Jack Blatherwick, which I imagine you've heard the name. Um, Absolute legend when it comes to off-ice training, off-ice uh, over-speed training, um, 
dry land plyometric uh, explosion, explosive speed. Um, he worked with the 80 Olympic teams with Herb Brooks up through 92, I believe. He worked with a number of NHL teams. And he's a guy that wants no credit, but um, so he joined the, the coaching staff at Benil because it was a local team, and he knew the head coach. And I literally fell into his lap as a student looking to learn. And he'll talk to anybody that's got open ears. And I just said, hey, uh, tell me what you want me to do, and, and I'll do it because I knew he had um, he had the, you know, the whereabouts and then the know-how and where he's, where, how to get to where you want to go. And so um, Jack was a, a big part of my development. So for the listeners, reminder, cut as a sophomore, didn't play at Eden Prairie. And, I mean, that is pretty well into your high school career and your development, right? And so you basically had two years left at the high school level. So you, you switch over to Benilde St. Margaret's, which, you know, you were able to do that, fortunately. And, and then all of a sudden you completely reset. It's like a reset and you have another opportunity and man talk about making the most of your opportunities in a two year window. What, what happened at BSM? What were you guys able to, to accomplish? Um, well, it started by, uh, just to continue the story here. I started in the preseason there and Jack pulled me into his office and just said, you know, you know, what's, what are your goals? You know, what do you want to do? I'm like, Oh, I want to make the JV team. It's just, that was my goal. And he's like, well, how about the NHL? And I started laughing, literally started laughing at him. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, you could be an NHLer. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like looking around and see if he's talking to somebody else. And he said, no, you've got uh, the frame. You've got the know-how. You've got the compete. Uh, why don't you do what I say for the next two years, and I'll help you along. And, and I said, sure. So, so we started getting after it. Uh, every seventh hour we had off for training. I would work specifically with Jack. And as a team, we had uh, we brought in a couple other guys that were great players, Troy Riddle, uh, Jake Riddle, Joe Schumann, all guys that went on to college. Um, so we had a good core there, uh, had a decent first year. And then the second year, um, we just, we were, uh, more of a veteran group and, and we're able to win the state championship, uh, back in 99. Wow. So how did, uh, so, so you, you, you be, you play in that, in that environment. How was the, how was the tournament experience for you? Just in, if you can put it into, into context for, because, you know, Massachusetts high school is pretty popular around here, and I love the environment. But I mean, it's not—it's not Minnesota. You take us back to what that was like for you, and just the environment and how electric it was there in in the Twin Cities. Well, I think it goes back to when you're a kid, and you know, like you said, you're not watch—you watch the North Stars a little bit because it was the Stars back then, and then you watch the Gophers a little bit. But but it was the high school hockey when the high school hockey tournament comes on TV. It's during the day, and so. You get home from school and you flick it on, and they had, I don't know if you remember this, they had clear boards. So the boards were clear. And so it was always something different. And you could, so as a kid, I just remember, oh, it's a high school hockey tournament. They got clear boards. And I was lucky enough that my uncles, uh, I had three uncles that played D1, and they grew up in Grand Rapids, big hockey town, um, up three hours north of the Twin Cities. And so I remember hearing stories about them playing high school hockey and, and them going down to the state tournament, traveling as a town down there to support their team. And so, that was my thought of it growing up. And then as I got older and the fact that you're playing high school hockey and you could be part of that and then you make it to the tournament and you step out on the ice and, and as a high school kid, I mean, when else can you get an experience of 20,000 fans screaming students for no reason, just because you're on the ice. Right. And, 
uh, you know, scoring a big goal and, and having some overtime wins. It was just an absolute surreal environment and experience. Um, and, and to do it in a way with the team that we had and, and having me, when I look back at where I came from, uh, it was a very proud moment for me and, and for my parents. Um, but uh, I also had higher aspirations to uh, try to get to college and not have my parents pay for that. That was my goal. Wow. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get to that. I was just curious, who were you guys playing? Uh, we played East Grand Forks um, for the championship, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it just, I mean – as a high school kid, it's just it's to think that you'd get to play in front of twenty thousand people. It's just crazy because you did have the NHL, the NHL team there with the Stars, and then the Gophers became the good thing when the Stars went to Dallas. So uh, to be the, the I guess called the number one show in town for a weekend, it was pretty cool. Yeah, pretty wild. And then there's like you have the old, you know, I think it was ninety six Duluth East versus Apple Valley. You know, and yeah. that was probably on the beginning of your your high school career. You then have an opportunity to play junior hockey. And not only junior hockey, but 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 play in a in an organization that has just been one of the really top premier USHL franchises over the years, and they've just had they had a lot of success in in in, in Waterloo, the Waterloo Blackhawks. How did that uh, that come together? Did they draft you, or was that a tryout opportunity? How did it how did it work for you? After we finished up, uh, I didn't have many con- any contact with really anybody, and I had applied to St. Thomas. Um, in Minnesota there and I had gone for a visit and got accepted and was debating if I go or if I go down for tryouts. Um, uh, obviously I, I wanted to keep playing hockey, but without interest, you, you start wondering, well, who, does anybody want you? Where can I go play? And it's not like it was today with all the social media and people reaching out and you reaching out to teams like that just didn't happen. It just wasn't like that. Um, and so Waterloo kind of came to me out of the blue and said, Hey, would you want to come down for a visit? And I came down for a visit and, uh, talked to Scott Pianc was the coach there. Um, and he said, Hey, we'd like to offer you a tender. And I'm like, sure. Anything. But he goes, I, I need you to try out. He goes, we, we like you a lot, but I still want you to come try out. And so I went to the first tryout, had a good tryout. They said, yeah, we're still not sure. Come back for a second tryout. So I come back for a second tryout. So you're really starting to doubt yourself a little bit. Um, and then I came down for uh preseason uh, started my career. If you will, uh, we had a terrible start to the year. I didn't play a game until after after thanksgiving i sat there and i i uh charted shots Charted shots yeah which that is not a fun not a fun they, assignment i mean one they, it's embarrassing because <laughs> you're not playing right and then two you're the guy with the shot chart sitting in, in the stands with the fans right and people are looking at you like why aren't you playing and then you start to really question your career what am i doing here because uh, you're living away from home which ends up being a great experience but it's the first time away from home so it's a little bit dicey uh, trying to figure out the lay of the land and how things work and you're responsible for yourself. You had to grow up pretty quick. Um, but then you're not playing and you kind of wonder, well, am I better off just going to school and getting on with my career, whatever it might be. And so, um, that's how it all started. Um, eventually Peanut got fired and Scott Kobrinski came in, um, the next year I think, you know, things changed. I uh, got playing more and, um, that's what, uh, I had a great start to the second year and that's where BC saw me at a top prospects tournament. Right. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, how did, uh, how did the Eagles, you know, get, get catch on to a guy from Minnesota who was playing in Iowa? Um, but, uh, you said something about being away from home and, and one thing I, I haven't broached the subject m- much in previous podcasts, and this would be a great, great place to do it is 
the host families, the you know also called billets. Um, you know, when you go to play in a junior team, most of these, most of these, the vast majority of the rosters, and sometimes all of them, are not locals. You know, then so they're relying on fans of the team to open up their homes and and take on the player as an extra as an extra child. And in some cases, they've got they might have young kids, or they might have kids that are high school age or, or grown or whatever. There's a there's a, a pretty diverse demographic, I think, of your billets. But in, in your case, how was your how was your billet experience? I, so I had two different experiences. The first one I, I lived with just a single lady, uh, very nice lady, very nice place to stay. Um, everything was great. And I just, before I keep going, I just want to say like the, the fact to open up your house to somebody, a stranger, right? that being like, it takes a big heart and, and a certain type of person and trust with the organization and many other things, but like unbelievable thing to do to help somebody out like that. And they're not getting, they're not making much money at all off you and if not they're, they're, spe- they're spending money on you you know, right? you'll get a laugh out of this one of my extra duties in omaha was i was a billet coordinator so i know exactly where you're coming from yeah so so knowing what i know now with children you look back and inviting somebody into your house uh couldn't say enough good things about uh connie how she helped me out there and then the second year um i just thought a, a change would be good and I moved into the family with two young boys. And so and they were also the Van Beesons. They were great people, Jake and Josh. Um, we'd play hockey every day in the driveway, and we'd wrestle, and we'd watch cartoons. And it was just more of like a, the family environment that I was more used to with, uh, you know, my other siblings and whatnot. And so uh, – and I had more success that year. And so everything kind of just was going in the right direction. Um, but just to go back, like housing families, uh, you couldn't do it without them. And so very special people. Yeah, one hundred percent. Jake went on to be a football, college football player, yeah. and he's involved in hockey now. And you know, it's a small world, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, we know. And he, you know, does work with the with the Waterloo Blackhawks. So those connections that you made, not just with the family, um, but with the team, you know, that stuff endures. And I know, you know, to this day, you probably maintain relations, you know, connect connections with them because you really you spend a year of your life in that house, and and uh, you know, those relationships don't don't just disappear when you when you move on yeah absolutely uh it's 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 a, i don't know yeah for me I, I break down my life into different chunks of where i was hockey wise right. <laughs> it just makes it easier right and so uh very lucky to play in that organization um the success on the ice wasn't always there with everybody uh but the maturing process and uh th- that's a huge part of it both on the ice off the ice um and so the van Beesons were a part of that and and so were uh, my coaches there right and then Boston College comes along. So you said you were you were seen at a at a prospects showcase. How how did that uh, how did that all that recruitment come together for you? Uh, well, it goes back to the mindset I had going into my second year. I know I didn't really make a name for myself the first year. Um, I wasn't an impact player, if you want to call it that. Um, so I said, you know what? Uh, well, besides the fact that I put on thirty pounds well, <laughs> just that, to get bigger, right? Right. Uh, probably wasn't the best thirty pounds, but I did because I knew I either had to toughen up to play that role. Um, or I had to be a guy that moved the puck and was a skill guy and a point guy, and I knew that wasn't really necessarily my game. And so it was, all right, well, if I can be the toughest guy on my team, if not on the ice that night, um, then that's what I'm going to do. And so I had a good start to the year, the first 10 games or so, um, uh, and I just got asked to play in the top prospects tournament. And I don't know if you remember back then, it was uh, uh, the North American Hockey League, USHL, American West, and then there was an at-large team uh, just to make up the four teams. And so I went to the tournament, um, 
joined the USHL top prospects. And I think I was the only guy on that team that didn't have a scholarship yet. And so I kind of thought that as a, as a huge opportunity to be seen and play with really good players um, and just see where it takes me. And I remember my coach, uh, Brian Meisner, was the assistant coach. He, just, he, he was coaching the at-large team. And he said, LB, uh, you know, the best thing for you to do is if, if, they don't, if they don't notice you on the ice, you're doing your job. And I'm like, all right, I can, I can do that. You know, play solid D. Don't worry about anything else and just see what happens. And so the first game, second period, uh, back-to-back shifts, two goals. And I'm just like, and I never score, right? Right. Uh, jumped in the play down the middle one time, got a pass, and then jumped, uh, hopped into the play going up ice on a rush goal. And so uh, two goals in the first game. Second game, I had a nice assist, a couple big hits, uh, some great ba- breakout passes. And, and, and BC wanted to talk to me. Uh, they reached out after that second game uh, to Ben Hankinson, uh, who wasn't my agent, but we knew each other just through the connection in Minnesota, and they said they had interest. And I said, oh, that's that's great. Didn't know much about BC. I was you know, Minnesota kid, wanted to be a gopher. My uncle played for the gophers, so I either wanted to go to Minnesota, uh, the Minnesota gophers, or up at Duluth where my other uncle played. Um, so those are kind of the schools I wanted to go to, but nobody had interest. Um and so I kind of worked with Ben. Uh, he reached out to the, the Gophers because he had obviously played there, was a great player with the Gophers. Um, they didn't have as great of interest as BC. Um, they still had interest, but not to the terms of uh, my liking, I guess. And you want to go somewhere where somebody likes you and wants you, right? right. And, and to look back at where BC was the last three, four years, making the Frozen Four or four years in a row, I mean, how do you say no to, to somebody like that, and especially when Jerry York calls and says, hey, can I come see you and can we talk? So. Wow. So, yeah. So, so Coach Shork came to Minnesota and talked to you, or was it uh, Iowa? Or No, we were actually in Omaha, uh, oh. your, your old stomping grounds. So, <laughs> okay. so this is the old Omaha where you got dressed up in the stage performers, uh, I don't call it locker right. room, if you will. And you got to go down the stairs. Sarban. Yeah, down the stairs to the stage and then down the stairs to, and then walk to the rink. Yeah. Wow. And so that night, uh, the compressors went out. And so they're like three or four inches of water on the ice. And, and they're like, all right, we're going to cancel the game. And our coach is like, we're already here. We're playing. And and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, oh, man, like this is like Jerry York came to see me play. This is my one opportunity. Um, but we played. Uh, the compressors started working. Maybe halfway through the game, you know, they had the fire extinguishers out there getting the little holes in the ice, freezing them down. Uh, and I, I played okay. Uh, we, we were down like four or five nothing after two periods. So it got smoked. Yeah. Um, but Jerry called me after the game and uh, just said, hey, you know, we'd, we'd love to have you at BC if you want to come. And I'm like, I, I was shocked because of the game that had gone on on the ice. Um, not necessarily me, but just in general, we got smoked. Um, and with the water on the ice, it just wasn't a clean game to watch. Um, but I was, I was kind of in shock and I said, Hey, I'll, I'll let you know. Um, and so I got back on the bus and went back to my seat and the coach called me up and said, Hey, what'd Jerry say? And I said, he wants to know if I want to go to BC. And he's like, what'd you tell him? I go, I don't know. He's like, are you kidding me? And so I said, I said, yeah, I, I just, I guess I'll, t- I'll talk to my parents first. And that's just, uh, that's what I did. And, uh, fast forward, uh, a couple weeks. Uh, Coach Cavanaugh called and said, hey, you going to come to BC or not? Because I think they knew Orpic was going to move on. They knew Scuderi was moving on. Uh, you know, Gianta, Bobby Allen, those guys, uh, they had a big year, big classes that were going to move on. And so I just told him, yeah, I go, let's do it. And no visit, nothing. Just I said, hey, let's, let's go. Let's do it. And I just, I just jumped. And I said, hey, um, this is an opportunity for me. I'm going to take it. 
New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise podcast will return after this message. Located on a 50-acre campus just south of Boston, Lovell Academy is a boarding school specifically designed to train and educate elite student-athletes. Lovell Hockey's high level of expertise in player development and advocacy complements a challenging in-person academic program. The daily schedule maximizes opportunities for academic, athletic, and personal growth through block class periods, training sessions, and social activities in brand new state-of-the-art arena and academy facilities. Academics and hockey work together, encouraging student-athletes to transfer competencies and successes between the ice and the classroom. At Lovell Academy, your future starts with us. To learn more and take a virtual tour, visit lovellacademy.org. That's L-O-V-E-L-L for lovellacademy.org. Listen, everyone. I want to let you know about a great team that is training the next generation of hockey players. It's Bando Performance. Their experts work with hockey players at all levels, from youngsters to Olympians right on up to the pros. And I'm going to tell you how to get a great deal with them in just a sec. Bando Performance's small classes ensure the best odds for success for athletes looking to increase power and performance as well as their nutrition and health. It has the same high-tech equipment you'll find in NHL weight rooms that hockey players use to increase their strength, speed, and power. I told you I could save you some money on this, so listen up. Go to bando-performance.com and pick a training program that's right for you. And this is the good part. For rink-wise listeners, use the discount code BANDO30OFF to get a 30% discount. That's bando-performance.com with the code BANDO30OFF and see your performance improve immediately. First impressions of Boston when you got here? Busy. Busy. Uh... Cav, uh, Coach Cav picked me up at the airport. We drove right down to the north end, uh, grabbed dinner at La Cantina, um, right on hand over there. First big Italian meal I had. And this is all new to me. I'm a Midwestern kid. Um, been to Canada and Wisconsin and Iowa, more or less, and that was about it. So coming to the East Coast was a big change. Uh, but, but I liked it. I liked the busyness of it. I liked the energy of the city. Uh, the campus is beautiful. The team was great. Um, the culture and just the way guys treat each other, the way the professionalism within the locker room um, was something that really drew me in. Right, and they just, you know, coming off the national championship, um, you know, it was a great run, but you had guys like Vos and Eves and Giuliano, Mm-hmm. I see quite regularly in the rinks now in his his capacity with UNH, and yep. so um, just how was the culture there that you that you came into? Uh, it's I don't really have a whole lot to compare it to because because NHL hockey is so different than the college game, um, and and the big part of it, I mean, it's, it's I think everybody knows it's Jerry York's a big part of that culture, and he's a master of culture and creating that environment, that learning environment, but yet the professionalism there to let you be on your own and develop um, on your own in certain ways. Uh, but I think he does a great job of, of, of pushing um, the ideals of having a great winning culture and winning team. And, and a lot of that it, it flows through the, the older guys. Uh, it starts as a freshman, and, and you mentioned Giuliano. Uh, so him and Alesh Dolan are, uh, are two senior captains that year. Um, 
you know, Jules will tell you he wasn't the most skilled player. Same thing with the Lesh, but those guys had a, a, a switch you couldn't turn off. They would just go and they would outwork everybody. And so that's, that's what was taught to us as young guys. It's that, all right, everybody goes out Saturday night after a win. And, uh, those guys are in there at 7, 8 a.m. on the bike sweating it out for an hour. You know, like that type of, uh, you know, probably a bad example maybe, but <laughs> that's that's how hard they worked. You know, it was never, no days off, right? It was, all right, well, we need to get, we're not where we want to be. Let's get to where we're going. Uh, because it was a challenging year. They had just won the, the national title, and there was a lot of turnover. We had 11, uh, 11 freshmen coming in. Uh, we did have the supporting cast of those upperclassmen. Uh, but still, they were leaning on us uh, to pick up the slack, and so it was a transition year. Yeah, and uh, just overall, like in, when you look back at your four years there, what were the biggest areas of growth? You know, as a person, as a player, that you you credit being in that program. And you know, you had your assistants. I mean, Mike Cavanaugh, Scott Pollock, uh, you know, Greg Ron, Brown, Greg Brown, Ron, Ron Rolston. They're all went on to be head coaches. You know, and and so what. Did the, what, what did those guys do to, to, to help you in your development process and in your, in your path to help you ultimately fulfill that promise that uh, that uh, Coach Batherwick saw? Batherwick saw in you? So, so, I, so I, I feel very fortunate that I had all three of those guys as defensive coaches. Uh, Scott Pollock, my first year, he had a project with me to work on just because I was so raw and I was uh, just had to be really polished, uh, to tell you the truth, and and. He was great with, with, with video, extra stuff on ice. Uh, just the, the, the mental game of positioning uh, is so different because the college game is so fast, right? You go from juniors, which is good players, obviously great players, but then you move to college and it's another step. And just, I mean, you're just going to keep growing uh, with speed uh, as you continue to move up. And so positioning becomes a, a larger role in, in what's going on on the ice. And so he was great with that. Um, then Ron Ralston came in and then it came down to, all right, well, well, let's, let's work on your offensive game a little bit, right? Let's work on, uh, your defensive game, your ability to close, uh, your stick work, uh, stick on puck, just the little things that are going to give you the little advantage of, of steering a forward into the corner where you want them to go so that you can trap them and pin them. And then, all right, we get the puck, we're out of the zone, just small things that as a player, you, you tend to pick up just as you go. And so, uh, Ron was very good at details. Um, and he made, uh, I don't know how he did it, but just the environment that we worked, he was very, uh, structured and adamant about what we're doing, but also made it very fun. Um, and we started to have success too. So that always goes into it. And then, uh, Brownie came in my, my senior year. He had just finished up playing in Europe, I think a year or two ago, an offensive guy, obviously. So his offensive thought process of changing our power play. Um, and changing the way we move the puck around and, and having a fast game and getting out of our zone as quick as we could. Um, that really helped my game because I was a big guy, uh, but yet I could skate and I could get the puck out of the zone and I could, I could close off a play and we'd be back on, you know, transitioning the offense really quick. And so um, he helped me out a lot with that, just developing my offensive game, which uh, eventually I slowly doing a little way as I moved up to the pros, but uh, just to be able to have a different point of view from uh, different coaches throughout my career that say, Hey, let's work on that. Let's pinpoint this. Let's, let's, let's look at some video on this. And I think you could do this better. Like to get three different perspectives four if you want to call it York or five with, with Cav there, I mean, that's invaluable for players. Uh, it's just, it's like another coach to give you through, to get you through your development. Right. And then of course it goes back to, to Jerry York, right. And mm -hmm. just, I mean, 50 years behind the bench between, 
Clarkson Bowling Green, BC. I remember he he came into BC in '94, so we're talking about almost almost you know three decades mm-hmm. uh, there. Uh, the continuity. What are some of the things the, the things that you remember about playing for for Coach York and how he was that just really. I mean, you talk about learning what right looks like, I guess, was, is, is the best way I can put it. But what, what are some of the things that you just you remember from your time there that you just really appreciated about Coach York? Uh, so there's a couple of things that stick out. It is one, his energy and enthusiasm for the sport. I remember my time when I was there, and then I, I'd come down for practice, you know, just check it out every night. And he's got the same energy, same excitement about the day, same excitement about the practice plan to get on the ice and help teach these young kids the game of hockey and tips that they can use moving forward um so his enthusiasm uh, his energy um the way in which uh his expectations of you uh he wouldn't always say it but just him being in the room and uh seeing the way he goes about his business and what he expects out of you was a great learning tool um and then what people don't always know is that like he challenges you but he doesn't he doesn't call you out. He says, Andrew, come here, let's talk. I think you can do this better. I think you can do that better. Can you do it? And if he challenges you, he's a guy you don't want to let down, right? And so you start pushing yourself to be better, and then he'll keep pushing you. Uh, but it's a quiet way of doing it. He'll, he'll never call you out in front of your teammates or in the media. Everything is within house. Um, but he he's, he's, a, he's a master of culture, but he's also a master of pushing you in ways that he knows every individual and the best way to get the most out of them. Another thing, a recurring thing I've heard with him is how much he cared about your academics and making sure that you finished what you started with the education and you, and you, and you left BC with that because uh, that, that mattered. I think Chris Collins told me the story that Coach York, after he got his diploma, Coach York called him, but he had signed he had signed his contract, and he thought he was calling to congratulate him about the contract, but it wasn't. It was that he had congr- he was congratulating him about finishing his his last class and getting his degree. Absolutely, and, and that's that's Jerry. He's he would rather you be a better person than hockey player, and it kind of comes hand in hand uh, the way it goes. Um, so so that's I mean that's a great example of Jerry right there. And and just one more thing that he he helped start uh, is the mentor program at BC. I'm not sure if you've heard of this or not. I've, I've not. Uh, so him and Peter Berlandi, uh, a good friend of Jerry's and, and a, a mentor of mine, um, they got together and they started a program where we could have um, graduates of, of BC hockey or, or friends of graduates that would come in and because eighty percent of the kids that graduate they're not going to move on and play, all right? They're not going to for many years after that, and so they have to have a job eventually, start a second career. And so he just started uh, introducing us to people around Boston uh, that they knew that hey, go have a cup of coffee with these guys, learn about commercial real estate or learn about finance see what you want to get into as you move on and so that helped uh guys with the transition from playing hockey to after school for a second career and that's still going on today which is pretty cool for me to jump back in and give those kids some of my experience while i'm at bc how i got it up to the nhl and then also now uh working post uh my nhl career legacy endures pay it forward how do you think uh greg brown's gonna do Uh, i think i think brownie's brownie's great he's got a great way of um uh, relating to, to younger kids. Um, I know he was, I he was in Dubuque last year as a he head was. coach. Uh, he probably had to get that head coaching experience to get a job like, uh, get the BC job. Uh, but very smart, 
uh, coach, very cerebral, understands all aspects of the game, was in New York uh, under Quinn there. Uh, Quinn's a great coach. Um, Brownie's great and very positive, everything he does. Uh, he's got a quiet confidence about him, uh, but he's, he's a well-respected guy, and he'll, he'll grab the attention of these players. So you're a Minnesota guy who played at Boston College. You were drafted by the Boston Bruins before you got to BC, so it all kind of worked out. That must have been – did that add more pressure on you? Did Was it in the back of your mind? Oh, man, I'm here. I'm playing college. I'm in, I'm in Boston. I'm in the backyard. I mean, in, in some ways I would think it helps because you probably had more touch points and maybe more – you were maybe getting more feedback. I don't know. Um, but in other ways it seems like it, it might have been a bit of a, a added pressure for you. You know what? It was the exact opposite because um, I had been drafted by them and, and Scott Gorn had, had come over during the summer to drop off the jersey and introduce himself. And I did not talk to Boston again until they offered me an ATO um, after we lost in the regional final my senior year. Wow, okay. And so That's surprising. Um, which, which I didn't typically mind uh, because I, I knew they were always there. But I thought, hey, I got nothing to lose here. This is my opportunity. Like, like, what better chance does a kid have than to go to college in a town where the NHL team is at that draft and they can come see him play every night? So I took it more as a challenge uh, than thinking of it as pressure that, hey, this is my opportunity to shine. And every night I can show them something new. I can show them how I'm getting better every year. And the fact that I knew they were probably conversing with Jerry or any other coaches, it was just something else that, I, I could show these coaches day in and day out that, hey, I want to keep developing. I want to be a pro, and, and I'm going to learn from you guys, and they're gonna, uh, they can talk to the Bruins about my development, and it can only be a positive thing if I do my job. And you, you broke in, turned pro at the end of the season. Scott Gordon, Rob Murray in Providence. Uh, how was, was it, uh, oh, my God. I mean, you talked about how much faster college was, so now you're in the AHL. You know, you're, you're another step up, and – probably with guys that want to take your head off and, and, and kill you more so than maybe you had experienced in other levels. How was that transition? Uh, if, if you could position yourself in the middle of 93 when cars going 75 miles right by, like that's what it was like, just because you go from a college game where our average height at the BC was probably 5'8", five, five, if we're lucky, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and even Hockey East is smaller in general compared to the WCHA. And now you're playing against men. Not to say that college guys aren't men, but now you're playing against men. And these guys want to... You're playing for money, you're playing for your job, you're playing for your career, you're playing for your next contract every shift. And so um, for me, it, it's a, it was a whirlwind, but it's also like my dream is coming true at the same time. So um, I didn't sleep for three days before my first game. Um, I had a deal set up with, with Boston, which I was lucky that I would be able to finish school because that was very important to me. So I go back and forth, Providence and, and BC. Um, but my the whole experience is just uh, everything becomes individualized in college and juniors. It's team oriented, and and in pro, it's down. All right, well, how are you going to get ready for the game tonight? What are you going to do yourself? Are you going to do your stretching? You do your warm up? You need your stick skills? Whatever you want to do, it becomes it just becomes individualized, and, and that's your job. And now your focus is is you, um, but you also have these teammates that you need to work with. And you're all trying to get up to the next level. So it's a really weird situation um, that obviously players are in it every day. And uh, But that's just the way the AHL works. Uh, you have all these players playing, competing against each other, but working as a team. Um, so it, it was a very unique environment uh, for me to experience right away. 
Um, but we had great success. Uh, you know, I think we were picked sixth or seventh in the playoffs that year. I think we came in as a late seed and uh, ended up losing to Philly in the conference finals. So uh, we had a pretty good run. And so it was, it was a huge experience for me uh, to adjust to that speed. Look, you've had, you, you had an opportunity to play in the NHL, play for a while, like Boston Bruins. That's where you broke in. It wasn't the best time, you know, in terms of the timing. But, you know, you played for Mike Sullivan, uh, you know, and then Dave Lewis the second year. But so many really, you know, top-end players that, that have, you know, gone on. What what do you remember the most about the, the what you learned in, about being a pro you know, with your experiences in the Bruins, even the, even if the collective success wasn't what you know what you guys had hoped for. Um, yeah, so, so as a young guy coming in, uh, I couldn't ask for a better opportunity because it was a team that positioned themselves uh, prior to the lockout with no contracts or, or very few contracts, so that they could bolster their lineup uh, when the league came back. And what they didn't know is that the league was changing, obviously. So uh, we had a bunch of older guys. Um, I was surrounded by a veteran core of defensemen and forwards. Uh, and for me as a young guy moving into a, the NHL and being new, it was, it was perfect. Joe Thornton was there, our leader. Uh, Joe was great, like great locker room guy, great on the ice. Um, we had Glenn Murray, an older guy. Uh, Zamnoff was there briefly before he broke his leg. But Brian Leach. Brian, I was the defense. So, <laughs> so then I've got Brian Leach. Who I, I mean, this guy I've idolized. And now I'm sitting next to him, like, I, how do I talk to this guy? But then I had a guy like Hal Gill and Yuri Schlager and Ian Moran, Nick Boynton, like all these guys that I could lean on, and, and they're all good guys that they wanted to see me succeed too, right? They knew they needed some young guys. And so when I'm having conversations with Brian Leach, and, and, and uh, I mean, it just it's it's knowledge that you can't get anywhere else as a player, and, and what an opportunity for me. And the fact that we weren't very good, uh, they started playing the young guys more, and then I get more experience, more time. And so, as a young guy, as much as you want to be on a successful team, uh, being on a team that was in turmoil, um, I had more playing time, more opportunity to play, and so that gives me more confidence. I start developing my game. I start understanding situations in the NHL and the speed and how it all works. And so, for me, those years were very important, even though we didn't have success on the ice. But you ended up you you, you had a couple of 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 stopovers i mean carolina i mean you know what a wild building that's got to be an awesome awesome place to play uh carolina raleigh um spent a year with the with the hurricanes how was that um or most of the year i guess you 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 went you split that year between carolina and vancouver but talk about contrasts i would i would think huh yeah absolutely so i was coming from philly because i got traded to philly and philly we'd lost in the first round philly is an absolute wild silly Wild city, wild, wild barn. Like, love playing at Philly. Uh, couldn't get the contract status to work out. And so I signed in Carolina. And, and Carolina's coming off, uh, I think, a trip they lost to the Bruins, I want to say, in the, in the conference final or in uh, second round or third round. And Carolina? Was, yeah. They, they had beaten the Bruins in 09. Yeah, they had beaten the Bruins. That's right. right. So. Um, coming to a team that had high expectations that year, very veteran, veteran crew. Um, it very so we had Paul Maurice, another great coach, like unbelievable uh, pregame speeches, uh, very motivational. But uh, he said at the beginning of training camp, we just we didn't even go with a younger crew. We just did our, our veteran team and we practiced, and that was it. So very different training camp than what I was used to, um, and, and it just it didn't pan out that year. We had a very tough start, um, and so I, as much as I want to say, I experienced a loud building in Carolina. Um, we weren't the team that they were the, the year prior. Um, just things weren't clicking. 
Um, and so when I did end up getting traded, it was actually probably uh, best for, for my career and what I wanted. I just, it, it just, it wasn't working out. I needed a change of, uh, change of scenery. And how was the Pacific Northwest? I tell you what, it's, uh, you think you know hockey until you get into Canada and the media there and the pressure there, uh, it, it's like no other, it, but it's a beautiful thing, right? It's, it's people perform better under pressure and, and we had that in Vancouver, uh, uh, and beyond that, living in Vancouver is beautiful. Uh, the ocean on three sides, the mountains on the other, and, and to boot, we got a great team um, playing with uh, a number of all-stars there. And uh, the teams we had, it, it, was, it was a great transition for me. It was a tough transition at first because I'm going from a team that you're not even close to the playoffs and, and you're almost playing for summer where then you get traded last. I think I was the last trade at the deadline, um, which uh, Corey Schneider, Schneider actually broke to me. While I was sitting on the couch, um, a good buddy of mine from BC, um, he call he's, he's, he used to call me Booby, uh, Booby Miles, because I don't know if you've seen Booby Miles, oh, yeah. but the guy busts up his knee. So sure. I had two MCLs in my senior year of college, so they called me Booby Miles. He goes, Booby, you got traded. You're coming to Van. I'm like, coming to Van? What are you talking about? I, and I'm hitting refresh on my computer, right? Because the trades keep coming sure. up. I'm like, it says close. Like, like they're done accepting trades. He's like, no, nah, man. Media's all over. You're coming to Vancouver. I'm like, all right, well, we'll see what happens, buddy. And then uh, obviously got the call and was on a plane within 24 hours. Um, so that's how that happened. And the next year, you're you're on the team and all the way to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, that, well, the next year, it was a tough training camp because it was either me or Shane O'Brien. And they couldn't, uh, salary-wise, they weren't going to keep us both. And they were going to carry 8D. And so it was almost like a tryout in itself. Uh, I had a great summer. I had a great conversation with the GM, and he said, spot's open. And I just I had a great start to the year, and it carried on until I broke my wrist back in February, so I was out till the end of the year. Um, and then I got to hop back in first round, game six against Chicago, which was just an absolute crazy series. Um, and then uh, obviously we won that and carried on to the cup final here, which uh, I get remembered of uh, frequently every time I see the Bruins logo, but uh, what an experience. Yeah. Heck of a career, man. I mean, again, from a guy that was uh, a sophomore in high school who m- might have thought, and if you had less character, and uh, you know, you might have said this is it, and just done something else. So my hats off to you. No, thank you, and that's uh, that's a message to all young kids out there. Uh, you know, never give up on a dream, and they keep working for something you believe in. And uh, as cliche as it sounds, is uh, follow your dreams. Just put your head down and go to work. So talk to us about Sense Arena and what you're doing now in hockey to help develop and, and, and help players train and get better. So Sense Arena, it's, it's, it was brand new to me. Uh, Brian DeCord, our, our, our director of goaltending, had called and said, hey, have you seen Sense Arena? And I'm like, I got no idea what you're talking about. And he goes, go online, check it out. I went online, uh, saw the videos, uh, looked a uh, little gamish, uh, if you don't know what it is. Um, he said, well, come on down uh, to stop it, check it out and hop in the helmet. So I've never done VR. Uh, and if you haven't done VR, uh, you're fully immersed in an environment. Uh, our environment is obviously a hockey rink because we're working on uh, hockey skills. Uh, and it's it's more or less Sensorina is a cognitive physical training platform. So you are within a VR headset uh, for the player uh, version. Uh, we have a haptic stick mount that goes on your stick. Uh, your stick will vibrate when the puck touches your stick. So catching passes, shooting the puck. Uh, we're not necessarily a shooting tool or stick handling tool, but a great passing tool and obviously a cognitive tool. And so what we can do is we can recreate situations, game scenarios to provide you 
reps that you can only get during practice or you can only get during games or scrimmages. And so uh, to recreate a practice with game scenario drills, you need obviously uh, your teammates in the opposition and uh, to be going through uh, the repetitions and so now we can do that within the headset uh, with, through different drills and so you're actually getting game reps in the headset so you can go do this in your basement uh, in your garage wherever you want to go and you're getting all these game reps you can't get anywhere else and by cognitive tool you're talking about improving your decision making and what how you're able to see the ice and, and make faster decisions that will work that's exactly it so so we try to influence the brain at the base level where we want to give you different situations different conflict uh, where you need to read and react to these this read and react to the, the situation appropriately, uh, judge your time and space, understand where your support is, uh, where the opposition's coming from, and what are my safe plays. And so uh, for young kids to get these reps, uh, it's invaluable for their development. So what do you do specifically for Sensor? I, I mean, I've, I've seen your title, you know, Director of Player Development. Uh, is, that, is that accurate? Uh, is that... What, yeah, well, yeah, more or less uh, a Director of, uh, you know, Business and Player Development. So I, I also work on uh, larger partnerships, um, uh, whether it's with the NHL or sponsors or Hockey East or something like that. Um, uh, I'm going after those. And, and then also the player side, uh, you know, developing and refining what we have already uh, to make it the best product available that try to make it as game-like as possible because that's that's what we want. We want to get ourselves, put ourselves back on the ice and, and hear the sounds that we hear when the puck hits the boards or hits our stick or goes off a shin pad. Like If we can make it as game-like as, as possible and you're running through these drills, uh, it's going to transfer onto the ice. And I have to think that our culture, right, so many of these kids enjoy playing video games when they're not playing hockey. So it seems to me like it's, a, it's something that would be naturally of interest to these players. Ooh, hey, you know, virtual reality. And, and it's like, a, you know, I'm, I'm improving as a hockey player, but it's in, a, it's in an environment that I am comfortable with and I actually, you know, might have a passion for. Oh, absolutely. And so that's the funny thing. So when we get young kids that hop into the system, like, like they figure it out like that, where you get an old coach or a skills coach that's older and they're trying to stick handle the puck and they're trying to figure out the menu, like the technology. And with these younger kids, they pick it up really fast, uh, which, is, which is great for us because they hop into the system. They go to the drills or they go to their, their specific training plan personalized for them and they go right into it. They do their work and then they can go to their shooting drills or whatever they want to do to have some fun within the system. So anyone that's interested in this, how do they, how do they find out more about it? Uh, they're more than welcome to email me. Uh, email is just uh, Andrew, period, Alberts at sensory.com. Um, we can put it on your website if it, that works for you. Um, if not, just go to sensory.com and you can uh, check out the, the website and it should provide all the information there. There are a lot of tools out there and it's all about getting better. And the more hockey people have been around, the more you hear it. It sounds cliche, but you lived it. You lived it. And and that's why it's been such such an interesting conversation because a, a lot of people tend, I think, believe that it's, hey, these guys that, that play at that level, it tends to be, they just did it. It was, you know, it was me, you know, yeah, they had to work, but it's easy. And they don't think about the, the, the focus you have to have, or, you know, maybe some of the setbacks that you went through. And I find your, your story has been fascinating in that, in that regard, um, that you just stayed with it and never let it uh, beat you down. Thank you. No, I know. I appreciate it. And then like, so that's, that's the message out there for all the young kids is, uh, is don't give up. And if you believe in something hard enough, uh, you work hard enough, uh, Thing, things will go your way. Um, I've, I've, I've lived it. I've experienced it. And that's, uh, that's kind of like my, uh, the way I go about life.
That's your mantra. My mantra, if you will. There you go. Well, I can think of no better way to end this. So, uh, again, on behalf of producer Steve Safran, my ace over there, Saf, thanks. Uh, Andrew Alberts, um, again, it's been a pleasure having you you here with us today. Um, And uh, until next time, we'll see you at the rink. Thanks for listening to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter at NE Hockey Journal, on Instagram and Facebook at New England Hockey Journal, and subscribe to New England Hockey Journal online at hockeyjournal.com. New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise is a Siemens Media Podcast.